A roundabout offers the chance to choose a destination. How fast or slow, how cautiously or bravely you approach it. A roundabout provides its user opportunity, danger, but ultimately choice, much like life. Roundabout is a podcast about life, love, journeys, success and failure. Mostly a celebration of living life and making the most of opportunity. G'day Roundabouters, welcome back to the Roundabout Podcast, um, episode 8. Um, I can't believe I've done 8 of these, it's it's pretty cool. Um, it'd be cool to get 10 and then 100 and then 1,000 and then, you know, who knows. Um, anyway, we'll get through 8 first. Um, guys, today I've got an awesome guest, I'm really excited about about having the opportunity to chat to this guy. Um He's somebody I've known for many years. Um, he spent a fair bit of time of his life living here in Mildura. Um, and then, yeah, look, sort of moved away, probably a bit like I did, and he's gone out and had himself a huge amount of adventures and work-wise and bits and pieces. And so, look, um, I'm really, really excited to have a, have a chat today, and I hope you guys enjoy the listen. Um, probably why is Jason Spivey on my list? Well... A few months back, um, I was sitting on the couch having a cup of tea one night. Uh, an ad comes on for a new tally TV show, and it sort of grabbed my attention straight away. And I'm watching the ad, um, and I sort of just something tweaked there, and I went, "Shit, I reckon that's bloody spies in there, that helicopter there flying around." Um, so the ad came back on again um, a little while later, and sure enough, um, today's guest, uh, Jason Spivey, was in the helicopter, and he was one of the cast or the, the stars of the Hunted Australia TV show. So we're going to have a great chat to him, have a, have a chat about his work life, about his, you know, what he's doing, what he's up to these days. Um, yeah, so look, uh, enjoy, enjoy the listen. I'll, um, I, can't, I can't, wait, um, can't wait myself. So yeah, let's get fired up into it and uh, let's have a chat to Jason Spivey. Welcome to the Roundabout Podcast, mate. Um, I'm stoked to have you here today. Um, as I sort of said in my intro, um, yeah, I, this has been a long time coming, obviously. Yep. Um, but, um, yeah, look, mate, thanks so much for coming in. Um, we'll kick straight in. Tell me about your life growing up in Mildura. Mate, it was about 1983, I think it was, my dad, um, took a promotion in the police service to Mildura and uh-huh. um, he'd sort of come up and we planned to be here for about 12 months, I think it was. Right. <laughs> and uh, okay. someone said to us that if you if you last 12 months, you'll never move away. And, of course, <laughs> my old family, Barmy, is still in town, so yeah. we've lasted that long. But 1983, I think we moved up here. I was in about grade three yep. about that stage. And uh, I spent right up until I was about 17 or 18 in Mildura, um, yep. obviously playing a lot of sport. Um, basketball, football, yeah. uh, you know, school sports and stuff, and went yep. to the South Mildura Primary School. A good school out there. It was indeed, and <laughs> we went out there and then from, from primary school up to the high school yep. and, and went there with, with my two sisters, and yep. sort of that was sort of where a lot of my memories sort of are from that, that era, I yep. suppose. Um, but, yeah, Dad was a local policeman sort of in town, so we got fairly well known. Yes. And I it wasn't such a big town back then. No, it wasn't, mate. Back no. in the 80s, it was, yeah, I mean, I've got memories of sort of, I think, did you, was it Wildcats? Did you start playing? We were Wildcats. So I started with Workers. Workers. Yeah, Workers Basketball Club, and yeah. then I ended up getting a, oh, I went across to the Demons. Yeah. And then from there I went uh, to El Charinga when I was about 
15 or 16 when yeah. Ronnie the Flyer Ryer oh, the great man. Uh, started coaching. And I, that was when I first played A grade with, yeah, with okay. Ronnie when I was 16. So yeah. I had, had to give it up because I copped a, an elbow in the eye and, okay. and shattered my eye socket. Right. And, so I gave the game away. Figured if okay. I was going to get hurt playing a contact game, it would be football. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, mate, I've, um, Ronnie's on my list of people to try and track down, actually. Mate, he came up in conversation somewhere on uh, Facebook not long ago. Yeah. Someone was talking about him having been here and yeah. and stuff. So I think he's still floating around I'm somewhere. A, and a Facebook connection with him, and randomly he'll send me a little ah. something. Um, he actually still looks exactly as he did back <laughs> in the eighties. Either he's put an old photo up of himself, <laughs> or he yeah he's um, mate, that. Made basketball Muldura something special. Didn't it they? did, like yes. Him. Yeah, like, absolutely. He was just, I'd never seen somebody with such a straight up perfect jump shot like he had. Yeah, um, he was lightning quick and, yeah, yeah, he was a very good player. Yeah, so. yeah. He, um, yeah, it'd be handy to get him back here and sort of get some development stuff going on. Oh, actually, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, for you, it was more sport was your thing. That was like, yeah, like most. A lot of kids, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Sort yeah. of. Mildura offered a lot in regard to that. You know, there was yeah. there was a lot of sport for the kids, and there was always something to do yeah. uh, growing up. And um, both my sisters were, were uh, into their sport, particularly basketball and netball. Yep. So you know, and my dad was always into his sport as well. So yeah. it was sort of something that that weren't pushed into. It was something always we just, just you know, were it. a part of. And yep. uh, I remember. When I first moved here, uh, I think I was seven, and mm. I went down to South Mildura, um and, and played footy down there under Gordon Casey. Yeah, um, he's a great man. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Uh, probably the best junior coach next to Peter O'Toole yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had Jay Sack and Manus down there with us yeah, in the under-11s. Yeah. Um, so we sort of started there with the football, and then I was playing basketball with workers, and I think uh, Des Nicholson was the, yep. the coach way back then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I spent quite a few years with Des. He sort of fired us through. Yeah. And I think... Um, uh, Andy Gordon was the Demons coach and obviously I yeah. grew up with Justin his young father yeah. and stuff so a yeah. lot of you know, everybody knew everyone and even though it's you were community. competitors on the footy field you were still mates at school and stuff yeah. so yeah. Um, I think a number of us ended up moving across to Demons because we're all just friends and, and that's what happens yeah absolutely uh, it does Andy's actually back coaching I coached yes. against him, I don't know, a month or so ago. Oh, He's yeah. coaching his grandson. Yep. Which oh, is awesome. Excellent. It, was, it was great to see him back. I mean, I've sort of known, obviously known him through oh, Oz Demons Basketball yeah. Club and um, just a good man. Like, it's yeah, somebody, he is. It's important, you know, we get these sort of young uh, whippersnappers and if I put myself in that um, category, I'd be talking bullshit because I'm 50, but yep. I think I'm young in the head. But we Andy, all do. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, um, look, he, he was right up there in terms of basketball and coached, I think, that... He coached the state side. Yeah. I'm pretty certain he was the under-15 state coach there for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, somebody made a comment the other day about the, oh, that old bloke coaching. I said, that old bloke is a wise man. Yeah, zip absolutely. Your, zip it on that. He's... Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's a good man. Yeah, so sport was huge. Like, you yep. know, even going through high school... I did all the inter-school sports, you know, all the athletics, all the swimming and that sort of stuff and yeah. was lucky enough to take out the age, uh, year-level champion yeah. awards and stuff like that. And, and I was always fairly decent at, at most of the stuff I did. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, about year nine or ten, I think most people started to catch up yeah. and things started to fall away a little bit more. <laughs> but, um, but no, happens. sport was huge 
Yeah, and yeah. I think it was for everyone back then. Yeah, most of the yeah. people I, I know were all tied up with sport, and so many of them went on to play high level football. Isn't it uh, amazing? From here, you know, the Bell Boys and yep. Primkies and those sort of guys that went on to play AFL. So yeah. um, I was a couple of years younger, but obviously I was playing senior football at a fairly young age. So yep. for South, yeah, yeah, South Madura. Yeah. So yeah. it was sort of it was a great place to grow up back then. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of the drug issues and that that we do yeah, now. And yeah, it, it was sad. just a great place to, to play sport and grow up and, and mm. school was a really good place to be. So Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to uh, my last podcast with this was with Elves, Mark Elvey. And yes. I was saying to him, like, how come so many great footy, footy players have come out of Wentworth, let alone Mildura? Yeah. Like, and, you know, he chats about that. But, um, yeah, you're right. We, we've... Um, We've managed to get some awesome footy players out. Basketball, we've got talent. It just has never quite. Yes. I think we've had one female NBL player, maybe. But um, Yep. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole different topic, <laughs> a different day. Um, and so in term, you mentioned the Mildura High School. Um, yep. What's your, what's your favourite memory or your favourite, if you, if you pull something out of there, what's your favourite memory of, of Mildura High School? Oh, I think... High school in general was great. We, we had a really good bunch of friends, sort of, that we went right through school together. Yep. Uh, and again, we all played sport against each other or with each other. So, yeah, there were some really good close friendships in that going through yep. high school. I, I suppose the sport side of it really sticks out for me because that's generally what I sort yeah. of did. I was involved in everything yeah. sport wise, anything to get out of class. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'd go and play volleyball or soccer, even though you don't enjoy the sport. Yeah, but just do it. Yeah, you always did it. And, um, you know, and, and even the teachers and stuff were very good. And again, you know, Peter O'Toole used to run the PE side he's of things. Yeah, his little office in the middle yeah. of the smoking school there. And, yeah, little... we'd all go in at lunchtime <laughs> and he'd be sitting there smoking. And how good! And he, we chat. were just talking about him the other day with somebody. Yep, uh, totally. He, he, um, there's something that I've sort of used through through my basketball coaching life is knuckles on nut, bend the knee, goose's neck. Yep. And he, that's what he taught in 1984, yeah. I reckon, year seven. He was an amazing teacher and an amazing football coach. I, yeah. I, I just remember that, you know, going through juniors, it was him and Gordon Casey that yep. were the two sort of junior coaches everyone wanted to sort of play under. And yeah. Tully always coached the school sides and stuff like that. So He was a unique character, wasn't he? He was a very unique character. <laughs> yeah. He was, but everyone loved him. You know, awesome. Everyone loved him. And like I said, lunch times, you'd spend just sitting in his office his talking office. garbage, you know. And it was like, like a cupboard, really, wasn't it? That it was, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> it was a storage room. Yeah, and he had his little office there, but yeah. full of smoke and yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was it was a good time, and I <laughs> see, oh, school was good for me. I, you know, academically, it, you know, I wasn't a, a dumbo or anything like yeah. that. But I never had any aspirations to go to uni or anything yeah, like okay. that. So, year eleven, yep. I got the elbow to the eye and sort of shattered my eye socket. So yeah, I missed quite a chunk of school in you. 12, I think it was my first year of year 12, and yeah, okay. I ended up having to do year 12 over two years because of the injury. Yeah. So, did you um, ever square up with the bloke that? No, yes. Was it next oh, I can't think of his name. He played for Redcliffe, but I can't think of his name. I right. came up behind him to steal the ball, and yeah. his elbow shot back and caught me smack in the middle of the oh. eye and, and shattered my eye socket. So, oh. um, wow. I can't remember his name, but yeah. Um, I remember the incident, I just can't remember his name. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it was, um, yeah, sort of school for me was sort of r- really good fun, particularly high school. There's nothing specific about high school. I'd just say it was the mateship uh, that mate we had. Sport. Yeah, we, we had a group 
it was funny. We in year twelve because we didn't have schoolies back then. Nah, and it wasn't a thing. There was, was a it? group of us um, that created a, a little group called the Shrinkner Fund. I can't even remember why <laughs> it was called that, but it was called the Shrinkner Fund. And the boys organised t-shirts, and we had stubby yeah. holders and stuff. And yeah. throughout school, we'd get fined for certain things that we did or didn't do. Yeah, and you'd have to put money into a kiddies. And yeah. then at the end of the year. All that money paid for a, a nice big uh, drinking session at the end of school, and that was our schoolies, I suppose. Who was uh, so? Who was in that? Oh God, was that like Jobbo? Yeah, that Trav Jobson. I think he was probably the one who ran it. Funny story. Trav now yeah. lives up on the Sunshine Coast where I am, and yeah. uh, only two weeks ago he actually sent me a photograph of all the boys of, wow. of the shrink the fun oh. at school. He sent me a photo of it. <laughs> So, yeah, there was Trav Jobson, yeah. Brad DeShearer. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Newy, was Jace in it? Jace, no, Jace went to the tech school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, but, oh, oh Darcy McEwen, I'm not sure yeah, if you yeah, remember yeah. Darcy. Oh, yeah. I think there was about 20-odd yeah. guys in it, but it was a great little group. I remember and, now that you're saying yeah. it, it's coming back Craig to Craig Lang, I think, was, oh, was yeah, in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was a great group of guys. And, like I said, yeah, we'd gone through primary school and high school together, yeah. you know, and, and Still good, yeah. I still talk to each other and stuff yeah. today. So. The Shrinkner Fund, the Shrinkner Fund, yeah. Oh, mate, you need to do a reunion. It was a good group. We, we were supposed to have a school reunion today, but they, oh, right. uh, yeah, we we're supposed to have a 30 year reunion, but only oh. 12 people could get there. So, oh. yeah, unfortunately, I think most of those were the girls. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's often, yeah. I went to well, I didn't go to the nighttime event a while back, but. Um, went and caught up on a Sunday with uh, Roy, yep. like, the, like the Bowers, you say, Roy Barron and a few blokes, and uh, it was pretty good. Yep. Well, I didn't even at the airport, actually, in um, Melbourne. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's done pretty well for himself. He's done very fit, well. fitness guru at the Australian he, cricket team the last bad, time eh? I saw him. So, yeah. He's yeah. still... Um, he's still fit looking. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah. It surprises me how many... People and a lot of people probably aren't aware of the positions that some of the guys from here now hold. You know, yeah, yeah. Cam Pearson, who who's the head of tennis in Queensland. Know, you know, nuts, he was part it? of the Davis Cup team yeah. selection and all that sort of stuff. And people just probably aren't aware of nah. the quality of the people that have come out of this town. Yeah, and, and particularly through the school, you know, because a lot of them are from that same era, that, that same, era. That same yeah. year level. Mate, so. that's pretty much the reason I'm doing this is yep. to talk to people to find out what they're doing yep. and then other people can listen and go, oh, shit, I didn't know yep. such and such was that. Or, yeah, it's, I it's mean, quite like amazing. I mean, Cam doing his thing and there's all sorts of people. A friend of mine's like, I don't even know what her title is now. She was in, works for Disney in LA and yep. she's like, oh, it's just Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? And then I, I have these chats and go, and I'm in Mildura. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> You've got to get out early, you'll never get yeah, out. Yeah, no, I bowled out at 18, mate. I chose to come back. It was a lifestyle choice. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier your sisters, so I know both both of your sisters. Yep. Um, how was the the sporting battles in the backyard? Did they beat up on you? Or? Yeah, not so much Lisa, my me, me youngest no. sister. Oh, she's older than me, but my, my Kim older sister. Kim was the, the dominant one <laughs> yes. of the family back then. She yeah. Was, uh, yeah, she was pretty full on and... Certainly any sporting thing she liked to win. So I think she got that from mum. Mum didn't yep. play a lot of sport, but when when mum played any game, she always had to win. So <laughs> yeah. But uh, but Kim was the rough one. She used to stick up for us at school and that sort yeah, of thing. I, could I imagine. remember there was a guy that picked on me one time, Neil Gristy's name was. Yes. He was the local rough rough, rough fella and uh, <laughs> Kim confronted him. <laughs> to go at him at school, so she wasn't afraid of too many people. Nah, like him, so. you're right. I, I think um, oh no, I have that memory of it, and I've got a, a whole heap of El Tringa old photos yes. and stuff through the basketball club. And 
yeah, just looking at some of those photos and, yeah, the the, the connection, I guess, between the sport thing, like you said. And, yep. Um, yeah. So no, it, they were more nicer to you than I thought they might have been, you know, if you're kicking the footy and all of a sudden, you know. So no, they was, weren't right into the footy. They're, nah. they're very heavily into the basketball yeah, and the netball sort of thing. So yeah. I know I used to always go to the netball with them and, and stuff like that yeah. and watch them play. And yeah. like I said, they were very good. Kim played state basketball. So, yeah. you know, we didn't do a lot of – it's not like where the girls play the footy today or anything yeah, like that. True. So you don't have those sort of things in the backyard. But yeah. certainly things were quite competitive at home and, and yeah. that sort of thing. But, you know, yeah, we were a pretty close-knit family and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So there weren't too many dust-ups. No, oh, that's good. <laughs> Um, and what? So, what age did you play senior footy? Your first game? Yes, yeah, so I was um, sixteen when I well, I turned seventeen the year that I uh, made my debut. Yep. So that was in ninety two. Yeah, right. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd sort of trained the year before. I'd yep. sort of been training with the seniors, and then I sort of did a full preseason when I was sixteen, mm-hmm. and wow. then the season started. I just turned seventeen. So yeah, cool. Um, Donny Falvo. Obviously from Robin Vale, he yeah. he'd kicked off his seniors the year before, so Donnie right. would have been sixteen, I think, when he first started yeah. playing senior footy. And there was a fellow by the name of Dom Scalino yeah. who played at South Missouri. Didn't didn't he ended up giving the game away quite mm. young, but Dom was sixteen as well, so he was the same as Donnie, just a little him. tiny rover and yeah. great little footballer. Yeah. And and he made his debut the year before when he was sixteen. So, yeah, okay. um, but yeah, I was seventeen when I first first played in ninety two. Yeah. Yeah. And so who was your coach back then? Oh, crikey, who was the coach? Uh, I'm not sure if it was Peter Johns or yeah. if it was Eddie Farrell. I can't, okay. actually, I can't remember yeah. who the first coach was. No, Eddie had coached the year before. I think Peter Johns had taken over that year. Yeah, okay. And, and that was when I first played. I played most of the year in 92. Yeah. And then 93 I went down and played. I was still at South, but I played yeah. with the first year. They had the under-18s for Bendigo Pioneers. Oh, okay. So I end up playing down there, but I broke my arm in round four. Yeah. Trevor Larkins, well, we were both running to goal, and Trevor sort of put his arm out, and we collected arms and oh. snapped my arm in half. So no good. I missed a few weeks, yeah. So yeah. And then sort of came back um, through South before I went back down and played the okay. last few games for Bendigo. So, yep. but, so that um, was first year Pioneers, was it? 93 was the very first year, yeah, the right. debut year so cool. of the Pioneers. So, yep. yeah, that was interesting. And I went down to the vote count and everything there. Yeah. I was lucky enough to get the most votes for the Bendigo Pioneers that year. And, nice. A um, couple of guys got drafted out of that. So, yeah, wow. it was good. And was that a goal of yours, was getting drafted a thing? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I spent probably between the ages of 16 to Probably nineteen. Or that was sort of my, you know, that was everyone's dream. But that was yeah. my thing was to make AFL. And yeah. I went down and trained at St Kilda. So in '93, mm. um, when I was at Pioneers, I got invited to St Kilda. Yeah, I spent about six weeks down there. Lived with Nicky Wimmer. Oh, nice. While I was Great there, man. stayed with him. And yeah, um, I'll never forget the first training session that we had because we turned up and um, uh, what was his name? Oh. Used to own PJs, or might have missed Howard, Howard Casey. Yes, Howard Casey. So Howard yeah. Casey back then, I believe, was mm. like the personal sponsor for oh. Nicky Winmar. So they oh. you used to be able to sponsor players or the yep. club and stuff, and I'm pretty yep. certain PJ sponsored Nicky oh. directly, and That's they cool. made a phone call when they knew I was going down because Howard was tied up with South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically he sort of took me under his wing, I suppose. So we turned up to training, and we were doing mm. a drill. The first drill was just coming off the fence. Yeah. 
you know, guy out the front kicking the ball and you go out and mark it. And my yeah. group was Lockett, was Harvey, Lockett, oh. Lowe, Winmar and wow. Burke. That was my That's group. So and, royalty. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that was the group that I was with and when I first got there. And, Jeez. you know, you're just in awe of what these guys, yeah. you know, could do on the footy field. So it was yeah. a pretty big thing. And then it's huge. I sort of I spent about six weeks there and Saints yeah. weren't going through a real good time back mm. then. And um, Kenny Sheldon was the coach yeah. and we <laughs> they were getting beaten fairly regularly. And we ended up doing four. I think it was about the second week and we were doing some 400s and yeah. I couldn't even beat Plugger in a 400. Yeah. So it was, yeah, I hadn't done much because of I broke my arm. Ah, okay. So yeah. when I came back, it was sort of like a bit of a um, – a bit of a reality check that, you know, this is yeah. the fitness level you need for this sort of level of football. And and I couldn't be plugging. You know, he's a guy that, you know, how big he was yeah. and he could run, you know, and it was like, wow, this is what I need to get to. And yeah. I was unfortunate not to get drafted, but that's yeah. the way it is. And yep. so they told me to go to they told me to go to Adelaide and play. Okay. And uh, but I spent twelve months here. I came back and played another twelve months here. Yep. And then went and played at Glenelg and okay. uh, um Sample, yeah. So I spent right. twelve months here in ninety five. Yep. Playing nice. with them and, yeah, so, and again, I didn't get drafted at the end of that year either, so yep. then things all changed and that's when I joined the Coppers, so. Right, so that's yeah. perfect segue, man, into my next question. Yeah. So we're leading and it's it's funny. And you know what's awesome, mate? I, I had no idea about, I knew you played loads of footy. I didn't know anything about it, so it's awesome to just to learn that stuff. Yeah, um, yep. And just, it gives insight, you know. I know there's all sorts of li- people that listen to this are from 90 to Yep. 15, but a lot of them are sort of blokes like coaching basketball and stuff, and, you know, they love hearing the, yep. the sport journey. Yeah. How do you get there? How do you? Oh, it's, it's that, not it's, easy. It's bloody not. And it's, I say that to kids today. I've sort of coached the juniors and stuff up home, and so many yeah. kids are adamant they're going to play yeah. at the elite level, and, and you sort of explain to them, you know, if you understood the work you've got to put in, mm. you know, to be able to get to that level, um, you know, 99.9% of kids won't. Yep. won't ever play at that level. And, and it's interesting when you you watch kids that are talented, they've got all the skills and that, but they don't yep. have the mindset. And you just sit there mm. and go, yeah, the only thing that's going to cost you is your mental capacity to actually deal with stuff and, and yep. move forward. And so. there's, you know, some, of, some blokes I talk to would suggest that at this time not many people in that age group have... I don't know that. I mean, obviously they do because kids make it, but yeah, that that mental, you know, the the strength or yes. the toughness or the resilience. I guess, yep. Resilience, that's the word I'm looking yep. for. You know, to just eat, sleep and drink footy and Correct. that's it. But now it's about your mental health. It's about your physical. It's yep. about all of these things. So, yeah. Yeah, and they're managed. I mean, how many people work at a footy club now? It's crazy. That's right. In yeah, it's nuts. Club. Yeah, even at a junior level, it's yeah. crazy. Yep. So yeah, um, so yeah. So tell me about that. So after you went played footy, Glenelg. Yep. What anyone over there of note that you played? Any interesting? Yeah, I, I was actually lucky when I went to when I went to Glenelg. I sort of had a choice. I'd been approached by West Adelaide yep. uh, and Glenelg. I'd won the um, in ninety four, mm. no, 94, 95. no, ninety six is when I came back. Yeah. So, yeah, so sorry, no. So I went over to there, played at Glenelg. I chose Glenelg based on their history. They're a very famous sort of football club, obviously, the base. So Mm. I went over there. There was – we had a lot of the Crows players that were – so back then the Crows players played for 
They sifted into all the other local yep. teams. So, you know, Sturt or mm-hmm. Glenelg or Port Adelaide, they they didn't have a Crows reserve seat side back then. Yeah. So we had Matthew Liptak, oh, we yeah. had uh, McDermott, wow. Tony Hall, um, yeah. Mark Visca, Paul Rouvray. So these guys were still all on the list. Yeah. Or um, over yeah. there. Yeah. So they were all still on the Crows list, but a lot of them were on their back end yeah. of their career. Uh, I know like Matthew Liptak at that stage was about to leave to go and do his doctor, you know, become a doctor. Oh, wow. Um, so a lot of them were in and out of the Crows. So yeah. I, I played a practice match in Canberra and I got knocked out. Right. Um, and it sort of cost me the first round, so I couldn't uh. play the first round. Um, and then it took me weeks and weeks to work my way back into the yeah. into the senior side. And um, I only got lucky because our full forward um, couldn't get to a game one day and they oh. dragged me out of the reserves and I played, oh. played in the ones. Nice. So I ended up managing – I played up in the ones and I, I ended up – Playing, I think um, eight games. I think eight yeah. senior games in okay. Nice. And yeah, I got to tag some good players and play with some good players. And yeah, um, it was a great experience. But I was doing an AFL traineeship at the okay. time um, as a professional sports person. And yeah. obviously, I still had aspirations at that stage to play AFL. And yeah. when it became clear that I wasn't going to get drafted. Um, the AFL traineeship was running out, so I approached yeah. Glenelg and sort of said, look, I need to find some work yeah. because I wouldn't have anything at the end of it. Um, we sort of spent about a month trying to find something Yeah, and just couldn't. So I just made the decision to come home and join the police service. Well, I was actually going to yeah. join SA coppers, but they weren't recruiting. Right. So I ended up coming back to Victoria yeah. and joined up here in, in Vic, but the, mm-hmm. we didn't go – like I didn't actually go into the academy until – April or May or something like that. Okay. So I'd started playing footy again back here. Ah, uh, righto. So yeah. I did 12 months. I went down to the academy and yep. I'd fly home every weekend. Every Friday night I'd fly home and I'd play. And that year I won the league BNF yep. here. The, the, um, That's right. The, the medal. So I... That's a good effort, flying in and flying out. Yeah, I think it was good because I didn't train. Like I didn't train yeah. during the week at all. Right. Um, I just did my academy stuff and yep. I didn't really train. So when I came home, I just wanted to play footy. Yeah. And I think it probably helped. Gives you that desire that yeah. sort of get, I, to actually get the footy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and because I wasn't training, I wasn't wearing myself out too much yep. you know, during the week. So any soreness I had by the next week was gone. Yeah. You know, and I could just turn up and play. That's good. So it was great. Yeah, you know, it was a really good year. Um, as a club, we had a fairly good year. And then yep. once I graduated and, and actually got <clears throat> into the um, – into the police, so once I actually went out into things, I had sort of had to leave here because I was yep. working in Melbourne. So yeah, I left okay. there and I went to Coburg in the VFL, so I played there. Yeah, um, nice. While I was working at Brody, and I had a really good, really good sergeant there. I was basically rostered to work on a Wednesday, but every Wednesday I played for the police footy team. <laughs> okay. And then because uh, we had the, they had a very good <clears throat> police football competition back then. Yeah. And so I played Wednesdays while I was meant to be working, and then if Is I played handy? if I played Wednesday, they allowed me to work Sunday, but I could uh, Saturday, but I could go and play in the VFL. So oh, I basically got two geez. of the shifts every week to go and play football. <laughs> wow. Um, Billa, so, yeah. so Billa played, Mick Billa Carly played footy in yeah. the police level, didn't Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. So they had their own competition. It was yeah. like a midweek thing. And then yeah. at the end of every year, they have an All-Australian weekend. So it's, oh, it's a national carnival. So every yeah. state picks a side and that's you go and good. play and they have an All-Australian. It's a huge, huge thing. And, yeah. Um, I played in that every year and it was great. That's so, awesome. but there were some good footballers, like some yeah. really good footballers that just chose a, a career over. Yeah, and you get a few ex, uh, a few ex AFL guys that had sort of gone to join the police service. So yeah. there was some good. It was good.
good football. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it wasn't just you know, his bikes thrown together to have a bit of fun. It was actually yeah. really seriously ran. So yeah, I reckon. Um, I saw. So I reckon Villa's got like the front, like one of these. The Australian jumper. Thing, yeah, yeah. I introduced those into the yeah presentation. So they used to have it. And you just get a medal. Yeah, and then. When I'd moved to Queensland, I created the club up there. Yeah. We, we ran the carnival, and for the first time, we actually introduced all yeah. Australian jerseys. Yeah, I so saw it as well. He's got it all framed and hung up. Yeah, there. Loves it. So yeah. They do that every year now. I think they get the yeah, all Australian okay. jerseys instead of a medal. So why not? I mean, yeah. you, you've got to make the team. You've got to, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So that was good, but yeah. work-wise, I sort of I. I Graduated from the academy and then yeah. I just lived in Broadmeadows and lived and worked in Broadmeadows. Right. And that was my training station. That was pretty crazy. That was, you know, back in the Oof. 90s, it was pretty nuts. Pretty rough out there. Yeah, and that's where all the good crooks were. And, yeah. and the guys that worked there were all very keen to become detectives and stuff. And yep. it was a pretty uh, competitive <clears throat> environment there to try and catch crooks so that guys yeah. could progress their career. So it was a really good place to learn. Um, but like any, you know, 21-year-old, at that, yeah, at that yeah. point in time, well, I was 20, I think, when I graduated. Yeah, you know, wow, 2021 with a police badge. You know, you're out every night, and you know, wow. you do as you do when you're young, and you drink yeah. and spend all your money. And it yeah. got to a point where I came home. I came home one night. I'd left me keys inside the house. It was raining. I'm on yeah. the roof pulling tiles off to try and get oh, inside the unit. And a police car turns up, and it's the guys I work with. What are yeah. you doing? <laughs> Just trying to get in the house. Oh yeah, I was, I was half drunk and. Yeah. I got up the next morning and I had a seven-day-old plate of pasta and about four long necks of VB sitting in the fridge and I had no money and it was just wow. like time to go home. So I end of 12 months, I ended mm. up applying and came back to Mundura and oh, yeah. moved back in with mum and dad for a little while to get some money. So, yeah, still yeah. in the police okay. force, just got a transfer up here. So yeah, right. that sort of led to three years in the job up here. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, footy again fired, and I went to Merbein and was the assistant coach out there for a few uh, yeah. years. Yeah. And uh, but end up working here just again, just in general duties. It yeah. was a good spot to work. Having grown up here, you knew a lot of the people. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the sergeants that were up here at that time had actually worked under my dad. Ah. So because dad was handy. a local sergeant back in the eighties, and yep. They um, so all the guys that were Connies and senior Connies, not mm. too many people move from Wildura, especially if they're from local anyway. No, no, all the guys I know have been here a long time. Yeah, <laughs> so they were sort of really good and welcoming, and and it was sort of easy to sort of come back and work here for a little while. But yeah, that sort of gets a bit too much after a while because everyone knows who you are, and you couldn't, you can't go anywhere, can you? No, no, and and it's, it's not just the football side of it now; it's the it's it's everyone because you're yeah. out in a community constantly, yeah. you know, and so everything you do is scrutinised mm. Um, mm. and it probably got a little bit too much towards the end and yeah. sort of after three years, which is sort of your tenure in, anyway, okay. yeah. um, I applied and went back to Melbourne. So yeah. in 90, that must have been 2000 or 99, I think, or 2000, I went back to Melbourne yeah. to kill it down St Albans, another rough... Jeez, man, you're tough area. <laughs> you're choosing the rough bloody yeah. spots. Well, and I do love it because that's why I joined. I joined because I wanted to catch criminals. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't join because I wanted to just cruise around doing nothing. Yeah, drive I loved it busy, busy and, and I loved the rough areas because yeah. it was just, to me, it was better policing. You could actually yeah. do your job without, you know, mm. the scrutiny, especially what they get today. Um, but, yeah. you know, you could actually do your job properly and, and yeah. you got support from parents. That was the, the interesting thing was you could, you could pick mm. a kid up for doing something wrong and you could take them home and mum and dad would give them a clip around the ears for doing it. Yeah. And then it turned into you'd pick the kid up and take him home and mum and dad would want to 
dob you in for doing something wrong. Uh, yeah, okay. it became the opposite. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the problem today with, with the coppers. You know, they, they, mm. they're just everything's filmed. They, they have no discretion. There's no, no discretion. You know, I always say to people the best thing we had back when we were when I was in the job was we had discretion and mm. if you were doing 15 k's over the speed limit, I could give you a ticket for doing 8 k's over the speed limit, yep. a lesser fine, less demerit points, but and you, you still get the message and you yep. walk away happy because you're paying half the fine of what you would <laughs> be. Right. And they just don't get that today. No, you know, they've got no... No, there's no leeway. No. Nah. Because if they don't charge you with the relevant offence or, you know, the one they get you for, they, mm. they themselves get in trouble. So. Yeah. Yeah, but, I think yeah. it's... Um, I mean, I don't. They probably have their own KPIs, I guess, too, don't they? Like, oh yeah, to, yeah, to absolutely. Get how many speeding people or whatever, or yep, yeah. Mean, it took you around. You know, there were things that you had to do that you know, like the RBT, you know, the roadside breath tests yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah. you had to get quite well. They tell you that that we didn't have coders, but we all know we do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, you had to get so many per shift and stuff like that. So yeah, um, yeah it was good fun. I, I really enjoyed it here, mm. like in Vic, and then. In 2000, 2001, um, I was with a, a girl who was from Queensland, mm, so she mm. wanted to move back home. So, yep. um, so I ended up moving to Queensland in 2001, I think it was. Yep. So I quit, but I only had seven days off and I joined the coppers up there. So, All right. Yeah, sort of left here seven days to get yep. up there, get sort of settled in and then mm. straight into the police academy up there. So. So you had to go back to the academy even though you yeah. did Yeah. So, uh, wow. That, yeah, so they have a – so obviously the laws are different in each state. Yeah, but, sure. Yep. So what they – Queensland was the only state at the time that had it. They had what they mm. called a retread program. <laughs> so right. think of a tyre, they just yeah. retread you. Yeah. Um, so they called it a retread program mm. um, and you only had to do half the time in the academy. So instead of okay. doing six months, we only did three. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of 12 months, you automatically would get the rank you were – at the previous state you oh, were that's, in, that's which was great, yeah. yeah and then, and then you could apply to go anywhere. Then you mm. could go to the specialist spot. So you only really did twelve months, and then you were free to apply for any okay. role you wanted. So anybody that was a detective in Victoria or New South Wales yep. joined after twelve months. They could apply for a detective position. They didn't have okay. to wait or do anything. So, yep. um, so I did twelve months in general duties up there mm. at a little. Um, in a suburb called West End. Okay. Um, so is that Brisbane or? Yeah, okay. yeah. So South Brizzy. Yeah. So right near, right near the uh, South Bank there. Okay. Yep. So it sort of yeah. backed on. It was the next suburb over. So I worked there, which was pretty heavy with the drugs and that sort of thing. So okay. it was good work. Yeah. Um, not as busy as I would have liked. I sort of asked for a busy station. That was recommended to me, but wow. it wasn't really, not compared to Broadmeadows. <laughs> nah. and, and even Mildura was busier than, yep. than there. So, yeah. but it was good because it, I was applying for, I'd always had aspirations to go into the Special Operations Group yep. in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, That's hard it, to get into, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, big selection process. Yeah. So uh, it's got about a 10% pass rate. So wow. if everyone who applies, there's about 10% get through. Do so they just beat the shit out of you and see if you can stand it, or oh, in a sense, yes and no. <laughs> not yes not and physically, no. but you know, do they? Yeah. The torment and the torture. Oh, it is would physically. Be... It is physically and mentally, but it yeah. becomes more of a mental, a mental thing. So yeah. in Queensland, they're called the Special Emergency Response Team. Uh-huh. It's the exact same thing. It's the counterterrorism unit yep. for the state. Mm-hmm. So I did sort of twelve months. I applied for the course, got on that. Yeah. Um, back then we did a three-day, we call it a smash fest. So yeah. that was the, the where they basically physically just 
run you into the ground for three days. You don't sleep. Uh, You carry everything you need for that three days on your back with a pack. Yeah, you do all sorts of stuff. And then... Mm. And it's very mental, so they're trying to work out if you can continue doing the physical stuff yeah. when you're mentally exhausted and, and, and how decisions, what yeah. decisions you can make yeah. and what you can't. So sure. um, we had 40 applicants for the course. Mm. Um, sorry, you do a one-day fitness test first, yeah. which is pretty easy. Well, yeah. I shouldn't say it's easy. You do a 10K running less than 46 minutes, um, 100 sit-ups, I guess yeah. 30 push-ups or 35 push-ups and about 15 chin-ups and that's the minimum. Yeah. Uh, and then a 400-metre swim in eight minutes. So that would get me. Oh, that's where I fail. If <laughs> so I hadn't your, already failed, that's where yeah, I Yeah, so that's your basic fitness test yeah. and then you get invited to a three, to the three-dayer, which okay. is what pre-selection they call it. Yeah, yeah. So the, from the one-dayer, we had 40 applied. From the one-dayer, 15 of us got through to the three days. Yeah. From the three days, seven of us then got invited on to selection. So right. selection then goes for 14 weeks. Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of people don't realise. A lot of, you know, I know in the US they don't have – some of most of the SWAT teams don't have a big selection process. It's a lot yeah. of who you know yeah, and you okay. sort of get selected that way. But mm. uh, all the states here have a, have a very long-winded selection process, yep. very heavily based on um, – SAS selection. Yeah, okay. So it's very similar in the way it's run and, mm. and that sort of thing. We don't do as much as what they do because we don't need a lot of the skills that they have because yep. of the different role that we play. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so you do a 14-week course where you learn all the firearm stuff, but you're mm. constantly being physically tested. You're always mm. doing PT twice a day yep. and that sort of stuff. So I was super fit. Yeah. You know, nice. I thought I was on top of the world. Nothing could ever get to you because <laughs> that's how they make you feel. Yes. Uh, and then I graduated from that in 2000. Uh, 2002, I think it was. I graduated okay. from cert selection, yeah, and then got seconded straight into the unit. So right. I spent three years there as a sniper. So, nice. yeah. So you, I've seen the movie, right? And I'm not going <laughs> to put your life into that movie, but the end, I don't know the end. That freaked me out. Anyway, um, so what does that entail? What exactly? I mean, obviously, roughly, I know what that is, but what is what was your job? Yeah. What? So basically, we. <laughs> Sort of set up in a really, really good way to respond to incidents. So yeah. every response, basically, we had two teams that went. So every yeah. team has about seven guys in it. Um, some states are a little bit different. They might respond initially with one or two guys, and then yeah. they call more in. But mm. we always responded with with two teams. So fourteen bikes would turn up. Mm. Um, we have the snipers who basically do the outer cordon. Yeah, uh, which is what my main role was. You do mm. all the roles, but my main one was as a sniper. So you sort of set up outside a house or outside of a property, and, and mm. the idea is to watch and identify any movement inside. Yeah, and we feed all that back into okay. the headquarters, um, so they know what the offender's doing, mm. you know, or what mm. the people at the property are doing, and, and it's constant. Um, we're looking for ways into the house yep. or into wherever they are. We're trying to identify ways to actually move our entry team guys mm. in. Um, but it's really a, a surveillance type okay. role. So it's not so much getting ready to no, ping somebody. No, not necessarily. It, so, watching and yeah, a lot yeah. of the majority of your work is surveillance and then mm. covering as the entry team guys move to the house. It's covering yep. them in case someone does come out. Yeah. Okay. Um, then that's when you're sort of sitting there, you know, waiting to see what you might have to do. But yep. it's really you, you cover the guys as they go in. Mm. Um, there's only ever been, I think, one. One shooting, or like police shooting, where yeah. a sniper has actually taken the shot. Okay. Um, in in history, so. And uh, how long would you stay there for? In like. Oh, 
Could be days, could be weeks. Really? Just, yeah, just depended on what the Bloody job hell. was. So we used to do a lot of uh, rural work. So we used to do yeah. a lot of looking for marijuana crops and yeah. um, and labs and stuff mm. like that. So we might spend two to three weeks laying out in the bush, yeah. watching properties or whatever else. If it's oh, a yeah. siege or something like that, you might be there for a week, yeah. maybe three days. You might be well, there for a couple of hours. You know, yeah. It just depends. Depends what happens. Yeah. Yeah, right. Wow. So, and then your primary role is counterterrorism. So, mm. you're you're the main response to any terrorist incident. So, if something's looking serious, yeah. that's... Yeah, so your job, sort of the main... Oh, how do they, they sort of summarise our role as anything outside of the capabilities of a general duties police is yep. what we would go and deal okay. with and anything where people are armed yep. and that sort of thing. So, but terrorism was your number one, but we... Yep. Whether it was a domestic incident or a terrorism incident, mm. you respond the same. They're yeah. the same thing. It's just the motivation that changes whether it's domestic or yeah. terrorist. So yep. uh, a lot of people don't understand sort of that side of yeah, things. Yeah, the general so, public. Yeah. No yeah. What, uh, what, just on that topic then, what did you make of that? So the Sydney, so the Lint Cafe yep. thing, like, you, be, you know, most of us watched it through the TV, right? Yeah. But you could obviously understand exactly what those guys were going yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I've read the coroner's report from start to finish. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, where they looked at everything in minute detail and yep. there were recommendations that came out of that and there was obviously 60 minutes and everything else mm. decided to do stories to try and make things look bad for other people and whatever. So yeah. um, yep. it, it's sort of interesting when you have an understanding of their tactics, you know, mm. on what they should have done and what they shouldn't have done. And mm. I know there was a lot of talk about, oh, they should have called in the... the Tag each you know, with the military yeah. side of things, and but people don't understand that the, the guys in Tag East and the guys that are in the police service do the mm. exact same thing. Yeah. So there's really no difference, other than they may have access to some equipment that maybe we don't have. But yeah, okay. our tactics and the way we actually do things is mm. the same. Mm. Um, I work now with a lot of the uh, commando guys that were in Tag East, okay. and, and you could take them and put them in a police unit, and you could take the police guys and put them in that, and you wouldn't and so, know. You wouldn't know the difference. Okay. So, yep. um, it, it's interesting. And, you know, I know they talked about the sniper thing and mm, all mm. the rest of. It. So it's interesting having been there and knowing what you would have to do, yes. uh, and then having that understanding of why they didn't do certain mm. things. Mm. It's sort of hard to talk about it because you don't want to give away no, no, methodologies sure. and stuff like yeah. that. But, yeah. but you know, for me. Yeah, when you read the coroner's report and mm. the guy who went in there and actually shot the offender, mm. every single round that he fired hit him. Yeah. And wow. the only, well, it was all but one round, and the mm. only round that didn't hit him yeah. hit the barricade that was in front of him, and that's where the lady was hiding. Oh. And, the, and that bullet basically... Um, Blew up the yeah, thing. well, the the barricade basically hit, and the mm. and the round split, and then ah. some of the pieces of that round hit her artery, and she oh. and, and that's why. So, you know, a mm. lot of people were were very critical of the police having mm. you know hit a hostage or whatever. But when you look at oh. it in its in, entirety, and and nobody would near, even know that. What no, you just said. Like, no, I unless no you read idea. the coroner's report, you wouldn't yeah. know. And yeah, and you sit there and go, you know, these poor fellows are put through the ringer, oh, particularly yeah, through the media. Fun. And you go, you know what, these guys did absolutely everything right, um, and yep. it was just unfortunate, you know, mm. what happened. And and at that point, they believed there were IEDs, you know, on him as well as outside. Right. So. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that come mm. into play and, and I think, yeah, having been in that situation, having yep. sat on jobs where, you know, similar things occur, you have an yeah. understanding of why they do stuff and why they yeah. don't. It's, it's a shame to see them get dragged through the mud it for really no reason. It really is. It's you know? not right. It's, no. it's bloody... 
you know, it's easy for a keyboard warrior. I mean, it's like everything nowadays. Yeah. You know, if you've got a mobile phone, you're an expert in everything. Exactly pretty right. Much. Um, yep. I was actually waiting for the keyboard warriors to write how bad the the concert was last. <laughs> the Kings, mate, there was nothing to complain about there. But anyway, um, Mildura people are really good at complaining. I have <laughs> They'll find that. something. They'll yeah. find something. Um, so just, mate, and that's so interesting, like the, the to get that perspective from you as to, and it wasn't even on my radar to talk about it, but just rolled in that way. Um, your dad, Bob, was, uh, inf- I'll use the word infamous. Yeah. Um, in, a, in a good way. Um, when I was about 17, 18, I so he was a bouncer at the Carlisle Club, which was, used to be called something. It's had yeah. 100 names. Yeah, it has. Um, but he had a fearsome reputation. Um, fortunately, for me, he knew me through basketball and yep. family, so I was always it was good with me. <laughs> but um, what lessons has Bob taught you, or your dad taught you? Like he's a very um, well. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you talk about. Yeah, that. yeah. Dad's an interesting fellow. Everyone knows who he is. That's probably the, the mm-hmm. one thing I can go somewhere and, and people say you Bob's son, and yeah. even today you still get it. You Bob's yeah. son, and it's like yeah. So everyone sort of knows him, particularly from back back in those days, yeah. back in those late eighties, nineties yep. period. Everyone knows who he was, and you're yeah. right. He had a pretty good reputation. He was. He could certainly look after himself. There were no dramas <laughs> oh. about that. Mate, um, I loved it. But when I when I first sort of obviously he'd been in the police, uh, he did I think about nineteen years. Yeah. And when I decided to join the police service, and, and I told him, mm. he, I was only what twenty I think, and he said, "Go get your security license, come and work at the club." Oh yeah. Um, because he wanted me to get experience being hands on with people. Yes. Because you know, as much as he could look after himself. Mm. I'd never done any sort of boxing or I'd never done any sort of yeah. anything I knew was from him. Yeah, so he sure. sort of yeah. it, it was all from wrestling dad at, at, at home. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Um, he wanted me to get that hands-on experience. Yeah. He never wanted he, he would never ask you to do something if you weren't really prepared for it properly. Yeah. So uh, so I worked probably for about six months with him at the Carlisle Club and right. and Dom's, whatever it was back yeah. then. And yeah. and um and he certainly, yeah, his biggest things sort of growing up were that family was number one. Yeah. You know, that was You can that see was that from thing. a distance. Yeah, it, it was family. all family and he was very protective of the family. Yes. Um, and and obviously being in the job he was, was that mm. if anyone ever threatened the family, then you always had to act first because you never knew the day that what they said they'd actually go and do. Yeah. And, and he always, you know, you never start things, but you always finish them. So that was the sort of three yeah, mottos okay. I had going through life. And yep. I suppose it's still with me today. Yeah. So, but he um, he was huge on the family side of it. He, yeah. he always looked after, you know, us kids and that. He was at every, every sporting footy event. game, at every basketball. He travelled yeah. all over the state, you know, including over to Adelaide and yeah. everywhere else with it. So he was always there and, and just always encouraged that real, you know, look after your family and, and family. Yeah. comes first but you, you know you were never allowed to be a sook you could you know yeah. I remember when I was six I think I tried to play basketball when I was yeah in, in we sort of first lived in Currumburra and mm. 
I was six years old and I tried to play basketball and apparently I, I fell over and I started to cry and he said, that's it, you're not ready. And, of course, we didn't have young kids basketball back then. It was no. under 11. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> he said, you're not ready yet. And then when we came up here and I played my first game up here when I was seven and yeah. apparently I did about three somersaults across the floor after getting knocked down and I <laughs> jumped straight back up and gave him a big smile and he yeah. went, you're ready you're now. Ready. So wow, it's That worked. was sort of, yeah, it was yep. always, you know, you, you always got up unless you broke your leg or, yeah. you know, it was yeah. always... He was a pretty hard mm. sort of guy. He'd grown up in Broadmeadows, so yeah, he was yeah, pretty, okay. pretty rough yep. and rugged upbringing himself. And yeah, but he was always very fair with everyone. Mm. Well, you know, I think he was pretty I fair. Reckon. And if you're his friend, you're his friend. Yes, you know, and, and he always had your back. But if if you did him wrong, for God's sake, well, I was, <laughs> yeah, didn't want to get on his bad as side. As I said, yeah. mate, I like fortunately uh, was always on the right side. He loves you to know, hold a grudge. Oh. <laughs> Do you know, just thinking, so back in when I was 17, it was you could, the paper licence, right? So yes, you didn't have a photo yeah. one. He of, clearly knew who I was. So I was using my mate's different name, the whole thing, going up to the Carlisle Club week after week. My 18th birthday, we went out that night, Bob, you got ID? <laughs> he knew, you know, back in the old days, you put your thing in the bloody newspaper. Yeah. He clearly knew I'd just turned 18. It was hilarious. He kind of did that little smirk. I'm like, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. And that's, a, it's a, you know, those burnt in your brain memory yeah. type things. It's, that was the worst thing about growing up with him working at the local club is you could never get in <laughs> yeah. until you He literally, he would not allow any of us in. Like, nah. none of us could get in there. He just said, no. Like, he said, no, I can't let you in. Yeah. And then... Exactly. Not let others in, so there was no way again. So we used to sneak around to Madden's. Yeah, Because we nice. I was playing senior footy and it was like all the boys would be out. And it's yeah. like, well, I've got to go out. So you go around to Madden's and get in there. So, But, uh, yeah, it's quite funny. He was very stickler for the rules. Yeah, and wow, it's, he was in the job that that's yeah, about rules, yeah. right? So. so it was sort of funny because when he first got out of the job, a lot of people mm. thought he went there actually working undercover mm. to try and clean the joint out because oh. it was so rough and rugged in there. And but yeah, that was sort of a, a lot right. of people had thought that he'd gone there just as part of a police operation thing okay. to try and clean and join up. But, yeah, because uh, was he the RTA was, or something on Vic Roads? Yeah, or something so after he that? ended up at Vic Roads. Yeah, it. so he went there. He was a licensed tester for years, That's doing right. a licensed testing, I, and he, he actually, failed my wife actually. Really? Yeah, Paula went there to do it, <laughs> and, she, and he failed her. It became a bit of a joke. So <laughs> he actually yeah. passed me. So I was fortunate. Uh, he failed my mate though, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, the rules, right? That's Back exactly the right. They're the rules. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah, nah. Is it, well, I was trying to think, well, did you guys have like this massive, like the brown station wagon? Was that your big green one? Oh, green. The big green the one, big yeah. Ford, the big Ford. I just big remember. Ford, like, I remember being in primary school when they turned up to pick us up. <laughs> 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 it's like, what, what is this? Yeah, But yeah. back then it was like, wow, we've got a new car. You yeah. Did. And I look at it now and I just go, my God, what did we have? Wow, but yeah. now it's probably would be worth a fortune. Yeah, now, probably. the big green buddy Ford um Big Ford station yeah, where yeah. we used to take it on the basketball trips. That's what I remember. We used to all sit it. in the back of it. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. best. God, and that the way, days. the old days, no seatbelts. No. No seatbelts, <laughs> just lying, sleeping in the back. Yeah. Put the pillows down and go to sleep. <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, um, yeah, no, that's he's, he's a great man. I see him randomly. My dad actually said he saw him the other day. They stopped and had a little yarn. Yeah. Forget what they were. The, the camping show he was at or oh, the caravan yeah. show yeah, or something or whatever. But, um, so, mate, tell me about, and I, I don't know the answer to yep. this. That's why, obviously, I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to put my glasses on so I can read <laughs> properly. Um, 
So when I emailed you and a bit of info and you told me that your work was high-risk security contracting. Yep. What is that? Oh, so in 2005, I was still in... Um, I was still in the police then mm. uh, in a tactical unit. And basically, um, Iraq war had kicked off in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of opportunities then arose for guys with our skills yep. to go over to Iraq and operate over there. Mm. And initially, it was sort of military guys, ex-special forces type okay. guys were doing the work. And then yep. one of the guys that I worked with in CERT, uh, he was ex-military, but he was in the coppers. and Yeah. He got leave to go over to Iraq and basically um, do some contracting over there. So mm. it's it's looking after people or um, mm. equipment, whatever, yeah. in high-risk locations. So he sort of went across first, uh, came back, sort of sprouted off how great it was, and the mm. money was back then was ridiculous. Right. It was almost double what we were getting in the coppers. So, well, it should be, though. Yeah. For and what, then, you, where yeah, you were. For what we were doing. And then well. basically a position or a company – uh, won a contract with the mm. Iraqi Electoral Commission yep. um, to deliver all the ballot equipment. So this was their first ever democratic yeah. elections. Um, there was an Australian company out of Perth uh, mm. who won the contract to deliver all the equipment right. to all the different cities throughout uh, Iraq. Yeah, okay. Um, that, it was run by some ex-SAS, Australian SAS mm. guys. They won it because they could... They were the only company that sort of guaranteed they could do, okay. get the equipment where it needed to be. Jeez, that's so, a big ask, yeah, ask to guarantee something Yeah, over so there. they got the contract, they opened it up, and then suddenly it sort of opened up to coppers with a tactical background. Yep. So there were quite a few of us went and got interviewed, mm. um, and then and I just got lucky. I was one of the three guys that got picked to go, right. you know, got, got the job and went across, and I was sort of going through a, a divorce at the time or a separation at the time, mm. so... I just wanted to get out of the country it's anyway. Probably perfect. Yeah, so I went across uh, there and, and I basically worked for the Iraqi Electoral Commission. There was myself, two other blokes, and we had mm. three. Um, we had three cars. I was in the front car and we had mm. one, one in each. And then we had local Iraqi guys as our drivers. Okay. And we just delivered all the ballot equipment in and out of Baghdad. So wow. uh, there's, a little, there's an area of Baghdad called Sadar City. Mm. Uh, and at the time, it was the most dangerous area of all of, of Iraq. It was, that's where all your insurgents were and stuff. Oh. And we were in and out of there every day. And you're like fully armed up though? Yeah, like you've yeah. got all so your, fully armed. It wasn't well, just like actually, you weren't couriering no, really, so were you? Fu- funnily enough, when we first got there, we actually had uh, Mitsubishi Tritons and they yeah. weren't armoured. Wow. Uh, and we had body armour hung over the doors. Oh, so we'd wind the right. windows down and hang the body armour over the doors. So I couldn't shoot Yeah, through. but you stand out like crazy, you yeah. know. Like, so yeah. three cars in convoy, all the same, with body armour hanging out. You just yep. become a target. So... Mm. It lasted about two days and we just said, we're not doing this. It's just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So we ended up getting, just buying some local crappy cars. We yeah. got three of them and they're just crappy local cars. Mm, and mm. We just basically dressed up like the locals. We put some mags on our heads yeah. and sat in the back and we had our Iraqi drivers in the front. And oh. we had certain things that we had to do to go through checkpoints and stuff so we didn't yep. get pulled over because we were all armed. We all had AK-47s and stuff. Wow. So um, we had processes when we went through checkpoints, which were everywhere. Mm. Um, so we did that and then sort of we stayed in Uday Hussain's palace for a week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so during the actual election itself, the whole mm. country shut down. Wow. So we had seven days of no movement. So we sort of lived in Uday's palace. That was just, we just got lucky and oh. lived there with the Americans. Was it as fancy as you'd imagine? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of the stuff had been taken. So all your gold, most of the stuff in the house, like the, the door handles and stuff were gold wow. and stuff. And he would actually, they, they were all mostly gone. They'd been taken by wow. 
the Americans or whoever had gone there first. Mm. Um, like his toilet was as big as this room. Like wow. he's actually, and it was literally just a toilet and a basin, <laughs> but the room was this big and all the windows were, and all the windows were about probably uh, six inches wide wow. and bulletproof and, and stuff. But the, the building was just immaculate. You yeah. know? It had been hit by two missiles, so mm. there were a couple of areas he couldn't go into. <laughs> but yeah, overall, it was, it was a magnificent palace. Yeah. But he had like tiger cages out the back and all sorts of stuff. Wow. It was crazy. Um, so, yeah, so we sort of lived there. And then when the elections mm. were finished, we then had to go and collect all the ballot papers yeah. and bring them back oh. in for counting and Shit. and stuff like that. So oh. that was a really good contract to start with. Yeah. It was the highest paying contract at the time okay. um, in Iraq because no one else would do it. So it was sort of the highest paying one. And yeah. So when that finished, I came back home. I was still dealing with all the domestic mm-hmm. crap that you go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up moving back to Mildura again. Right. So, yeah, so I came back and I um, met my current wife. Right. So when I came back and okay. and been with well, – actually, I met her before I went to Iraq. Yeah. Um, but came back and she was still waiting. So, yeah. Go. So I came back to Mildura for a little while. Um, yeah. And I think we spent maybe 12 months, two, two years maybe back here. Mm. And then went to Bendigo. Okay. Um, but So that was my first initial – into the high, real high risk security consulting type stuff, yep. and basically, what it is it's contracting to other people mm. uh, in high risk locations. So okay. anywhere where the person might be at risk of being kidnapped or mm. you know, injured or some way, um, okay. because of because of what I was going through uh, with the ex, mm. uh, I sort of couldn't continue on with that. Yeah, uh, yep. I had a daughter that you okay. know, I, I had to see, and yep. um, so I ended up opening up a. Uh, surveillance business, so investigations right. and surveillance. There's yeah. a guy, uh, I can't think of his first name, Curry. Bob. Bob Kerr. He's yeah. a good man, Bob. Yeah. So I know Bob him. Kerr ran Muldura Investigations back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he knew I'd moved back to town. He just asked if I wanted to do some investigation stuff for him for yeah. a while. So I did that just casually with, yeah, with nice. Bob and, and Kim, his wife. Yep. And then they sold it. Um, must have been about 12 months after I'd been here. They sold mm. the business oh. and they handed over all the contracts to me so all the work oh. they'd been doing as much as they, they did just didn't run the investigations anymore and mm. they gave everything to me wow. so i ended up establishing my own business and funnily enough it, it was so my we have a call sign when you're in the tactical unit you get given a call sign mm. um and that's how you you're referred to everywhere and mine yep. was uh, ibis Right. Uh, based on my nose is bent like an ibis <laughs> bird. So that was my... It's a bit rough. Yeah, so that was sort of that. Well, that's how you got your nickname. Yeah. Ridiculous. So that was my you nickname. Know, so I started up a business called Ibis Surveillance Investigation Services. Right. And if you shorten it down, it's ISIS. Oh. <laughs> so it's in 2005, I started ISIS. But, you know, wow. Um, so I nearly called my daughter ISIS, you know, that before ISIS, ISIS was a thing. Yeah. So it's I, out of a Bob Dylan song yeah. anyway, long story, but go yeah, on. Yeah, so that was so I created ISIS before ISIS. Wow. And I still have the email address, ISIS Muldura. Holy crap. <laughs> so Odd that you'd been working over in the Middle East prior to. Yes, yeah. Wow. So so we had uh, – so I started up uh, Ibis Surveillance Investigations. Yeah. We ran that from here for a couple of years and we yep. just got too busy. Mm. So I was basically travelling you know, constantly all over the state. I had – the companies yep. were sending me everywhere. Mm. So we moved to Bendigo. Okay. And then started – transferred that business into basically Tri-State Group, which is my company. Okay. Which I have now. Right. So – and that encompasses, you know, investigations, high-risk security. Yep training, a bit of everything. Okay, yeah. Uh, so we started that in 07, 
ran that right through until about 2015 mm. and then we ended up – I still have my daughter up in Queensland. So yep. um, my wife and, and the kids, I think I had two at the time, mm. we packed – I don't know, we had the three. Um, we all packed up and moved up to Queensland. Nice. Okay. So – and that was when I went from doing investigations back into high-risk sort of work and I ended up mm. in – Manus Island at the detention centre. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was there during the riots when one of the uh, detainees was was killed. Yep. Uh, I was there f- for that. And then from there I went to a gold mine over in the highlands of Papua New Guinea and oh. it was probably the most dangerous but most fulfilling job I ever had, I reckon. So yep. I loved it. Yeah, it was great. I reckon three it is there, so. rough over there, though. Oh, well, they, they just had a massacre there, 26 dead. So, wow. yeah, in a week. So women and kids, the whole works, all over tribal tribal stuff. So, yep. um, But that was, you know, that was life in progress. So. Mm. But, uh, so I spent three years up there. And, yep. again, this is sort of your high-risk stuff. So you're going in, they're contact, contracting you to go in and look after stuff, make sure something doesn't happen. Like, yeah, so or, so we actually employed full-time then. So I still yeah. had my business running with the, yep. the surveillance and stuff, but... I went full-time with the gold mine, um, but I was still doing contract work when yep. I come home because you do two weeks on, two weeks off. Oh, yeah, so you got time. Point, fly out, yeah, yeah. Yep. So You don't seem like someone who's just going to come home and sit on the couch for two I weeks. don't do that too often. No. I do these days, but not so much <laughs> back then. So yeah. I'd come home and do surveillance or I'd come home and do some sort of other other job, whether it be close protection or yep. whatever. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I, loved, I loved it in Porgor. It was yep. – loved the work. Good lifestyle, mm. you know, it, it was pretty good. Uh, and then 2017, uh, I, I left there and basically went to the Australian Embassy in Afghanistan and was mm. part of the VIP protection team to look after the ambassador. Right, so the Australian ambassador. Yeah, yeah. You wow. know, so and any of the high, any of the VIP dignitaries that come yep. in. So there's multiple teams. Two mm. teams are designated as VIP, so you mm. specifically do the big big jobs. Yep. Uh, the others look after the staff and that sort of okay. thing. Um, so we did um, Malcolm Turnbull when he came across, we oh, looked yeah. after him and, yep. and that sort of thing. So um, mm. so that was good, 2017, and, and I've just sort of been doing close protection work probably since about 2015, I think it was. Okay. It was my first one. and then So we in Australia been, as well, though, yeah? Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. So I do a lot of work through Sydney, Melbourne, and that sort of area of visiting yep. dignitaries from the US okay, uh, or from overseas. So you get a lot of... Yeah, that people who meet with the prime minister or meet with the premiers and that sort yep. of thing. So, uh, yeah, we've done. Uh, yeah, I think the first job I ever did was Bill Gates. Uh, we looked oh, after yeah. him and his family. Mm. Um, you know, my company was lucky enough to do Taylor Swift for yeah. her concerts and that sort wow. of stuff. So, some big names. Yeah. We've had advisors to the US president that we've looked after. Oh, yeah. Some of the biggest IT gurus. Yeah, you know, across the world, important so. people, I guess. Yeah, really. yeah, and and, it, and it's just the risk. You know, the risk is kidnapping and that sort of thing. But a lot of the mm. risk isn't actually at them. It's more towards their family and kids, right? And that sort of stuff. So you're dealing with some pretty high net worth individuals. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, a lot of planning and preparation goes into what you do, so that yeah. when they arrive, really, you don't do a lot when they're here. It's more. Mm. Just making sure that the plans and that that you put in place actually work. Yeah, uh, I always say to people, you know, close protection is not as glorified as what it's made out to be in the movies. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it's quite boring, and yeah, you know, a lot of sitting around and, mm. and that sort of thing. But you learn to talk to different people. 
you know, you can talk to people that are worth billions. You can talk mm. to their, you know, mid-managers and staff, but then yep. you're also dealing, you know, through our work, you also deal with people that don't have a lot. Mm. You know, mm. so you learn to communicate with all sorts of people and yep. and it's good for business because you can you, you can relate to all different things. And, yeah. And that, so it's been good. It's been a good experience, but the, the high-risk stuff sort of, I've been in it since 2002, since I long got time. into CERT. So it's sort of second nature and it's hard to sort of let it go. Yeah. That's the hard part. You, you sort of feel, and like you said, you know, I'm not the sort of person that likes to sit around at home yeah. and it's hard to explain to people but the, the draw of going and doing something like that is actually mm. quite strong and, yep. and and I really enjoy going into environments that, that really test your skills and your abilities and, and that sort of stuff. So, yep. yeah, it's hard to just come home and relax. Yeah. <laughs> is there anyone you wouldn't work for? Like if, if a certain... And you don't have to answer that question if you don't want to, but... I would there... say there are types of people, I suppose. So yeah. I, try to, I try to avoid um, yeah, musicians. That's yeah. sort of the main one. We, we took on Taylor Swift because her security is very... Um, her security is very much like an executive security, so it's mm. set up pretty similar to the way Bill Gates operates. So okay. they have a permanent team that roll with them everywhere. Yeah, uh, the guys are all from the same background as what I am, or special yep. forces type guys, um, wow. and they run very professionally. Mm. Um, a lot of the a lot of the museos do it because they want it for the look. Yeah. Like you'll get phone calls that say, "Oh, yeah, they've got to be six foot four and built like." You know, a bit yeah. shit house type thing. Yeah. Excuse the language, yeah, but that's yeah. what they say. No, we swear on like, here. But, it's all right. But you say to them, it's not. It's not really. Just because they're big, doesn't mean they can do the job. No, and no, nine no, times out of ten, they can't. No, that's right. Um, they actually don't have an understanding of true close protection work. Yeah. So I try to steer away from that. The executives are excellent. Mm. The executives, I love the executives. They're really easy. Yep. I look after the Master Chef judges. So oh, yeah. I've been doing that for about six years as well. Yeah, cool. So that's, that sort of came about through another job I, I had where I actually went and ate at, um, or the client I was with at the time, mm. ate at George Calambaris' restaurant. Yep. And George met the client and then we just sat down chatting for about half an hour. And wow. six months later, I got a phone call from Master Chef. Asking you oh, to do the security cool. for, for the judges, so yeah, um, it's a pity you didn't give him some tax advice as well. Yeah, George. no, that's oh, a shame. That was no, a shame. That poor was... George, he got shafted, old George. He's one of the nicest guys you yeah. ever come across. And I always say to people, you know, it's the you see what they put in the media, you don't mm. see what they do on the on the you know outside. Yeah, you know, we yep. had a, a friend of ours, a guy that works for my. Well, my wife's boss. Mm. He'd lost his wife, and he actually went to Melbourne, and mm. I booked them into one of George's restaurants and when they went to pay at the end of the night, George had actually already said, no, it's on the house. Really? So, wow. um, yeah, and there was no need for him to do that. No. You know, they just went there to eat. So yeah. Yeah. there's a lot of things he does that people have no idea about. Mm. I actually it's talk to George case. every now and again. So, yeah, um, yeah he's actually really Seems nice Seems like a real genuine Yeah, he fellow. really is. It's a shame yeah. he's not on the show. I mean, I don't watch the show anymore because yeah. he's not on there probably. Yeah. And the other, Gary and whatnot. But yeah. And the three um, new guys are pretty good too. They're all nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah two guys yep. and a girl. They're really good. So yep. they're uh, they're a good crew to work for. And I think the well, the production company and Demong Sean are very good and very loyal to the people that work for them. Yep. So, but, um, um, yeah, mate. The, the segues just keep jumping. From it's perfect. <laughs> You've just talked about a TV network. Um, so at the start of my intro, I gave this story, but truthfully, so I was sitting on the couch in there. And then this ad comes on. I was like, "Shit, that looks like a cool show." Because, and then it comes on again. I was like, "Fuck, that's Spives. I'm sure it is." 
and I actually was going to hit the old face anyway, whatever. But we, it, yeah, it surprised me. So then, obviously, I was I'm going to watch the show, and I watched yep. it and loved it. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, so Hunted, it's uh, yeah, gone on to be the number one new show on TV. So yeah. basically, it, it again, it was born out of MasterChef. So uh-huh. uh, and it's funny because I rang George when I got the when I got the okay to be on the show, and I actually yep. rang George and said. Th- Thank you to him because without him getting me on to MasterChef, this would yeah, never happen. Okay. So yeah. um, basically the, the production crew who do MasterChef are the same production crew or a majority of the production crew also make yep. content. And uh-huh. in their initial discussions when the show was first being discussed, my name mm. just got thrown up by yep. several of the producers because they knew my background mm-hmm. and, and specifically in um, surveillance. So... I got sort of contacted initially just to be a consultant and right. to go on and, and train just some private investigators or yep. whatever to do the role. Yeah. And I sort of said, well, where are you getting them from? And they just sort of said, well, we haven't sort of worked that bit out yet. Oh. And I said, well, I work with special specialist guys that do this day in, day out. I said, yeah. including like escape and evasion specialists. And yeah. I said, if you go through the, my business, let me recruit them and, and go from there. So mm. basically they just went, Perfect for us. Yeah. We, we'll have one person to deal with. We don't have to worry about recruiting 12 other people. That's good. Um, so in the end, myself, and I had a, I've got a business partner, Reese Stewart, who's the big bike yeah. with the beard that he works in headquarters. on the show, Yeah, actually. so big Reese is my business partner. So I sort of yeah. approached him and um, initially I was sort of putting it through my company. Mm. Uh, we own a business called Agogi Training Institute, mm-hmm. um, which is just a training organisation that does firearms and yep. first aid and, and a few other things. Mm. And okay. um, we were just in the in the infancy of getting this business up and going and COVID had sort of put us back a little bit. Yeah. So I sort of spoke to Reese and said, look, I, I wouldn't mind putting it through the training business rather than mm. through the company. I said that way it'll give, give us some money to get the training business sort of up and going. So we put the feelers yeah. out. We ended up getting you know, a number of SAS guys uh, through yep. Reese's contacts, a um, couple through mine. Mm. Um, but we struggled to find sort of females and that sort of thing. So we ended up having a recruit through the Victorian Police Veterans Association, which and they were brilliant. You know, yep. they, they put it out there for us. So we ended up getting several of the girls from there. And, and then one of the girls was actually the wife of one of my old cert. Wow. Teammates. Okay. Yeah. So it always comes around in circles. Yeah. You always run into them everywhere. The so main lady in the in the office building, like, yep, she was fierce. She was awesome. She yeah. was good to watch. Like, Absolutely. I I just really enjoyed the interaction between even just in the office. Yes. Like how? Because the that what's the fellow with the unpronounced right? Okay. Uh, uh, Graham. Graham. <laughs> Graham. We'll call him Graham. <laughs> Graham was like seriously pissed off when he couldn't get people. He wanted yeah, to like absolutely. literally. It you was could see it. It was interesting because most of the ground crew had sort of, if we didn't know each other, we someone we all had the same background. Yeah. So, yeah. Bar the females, you know, they yeah. they sort of come in, but all the guys. Yeah. We all either knew each other or knew of each other somehow. Sure. Like, yeah. So here, I'll tell you, funny. This is yeah. this uh, the separation thing. I right? yeah. so Howie, who was part of Charlie team. Yeah. Um, how he, I didn't know this at the time, but when he when he he got an email from Reese, mm. um, basically saying if you're interested type thing, it had just gone out to a, you know, yeah. the, the email had just gone out to a heap of people. So how he mm. saw my name and went, oh, I know Jace, I'll whack me name down. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know who Howie was. Oh, and. I later found out that I'd actually worked with Howie in Afghanistan at the embassy. Wow. And that's how he knew me. Yeah. So we turn up on day one 
which is you do like a week of preparations. And yeah, day yeah. one was meeting everyone and introducing yourselves. Yeah. So I sort of stood up, oh, yeah, I'm from Mildura and blah, blah, blah. And Howie comes up after and says, oh, you're from Mildura. And I went, yeah. And he goes, you might know my wife. I went, oh, who's that? Nick Isabel. Oh, <laughs> no way. That? So, so wow. yeah, so Howie ended up, yeah, he's married to a girl that we sort of all grew up yeah, with. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. tied up with the basketball yeah, and yep. all the rest of it. Wow. So, uh, so, yeah, oh, so yeah. we sort of ended up with a really good bunch of people and, and and that's sort of how it initially came about was, you know, we want you to come as a consultant and yep. then I just sort of said, look, I'll, I'll supply everyone. And so that's okay. what ended up happening and they were like, yep, let's do that. And they've stuck with that uh, again. We've, we've been given yeah. a season two. So, oh, awesome. Um, so I just provide them all the – I provide them a list – they make the final decision who's on. You still have to go through the casting stuff, so you still yeah, have to okay. do an interview so they can see how you come up on screen. And quite yeah. clearly the show's nothing about looks, <laughs> so, <laughs> which was good. Yeah. Um, but they wanted people with the skills, and I think we yeah. gave them that. Yeah, you know, oh, mate, it was happy, so. As it went on, it's like everyone got better. Yeah. The, 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 like you and the, yeah. the crew. It, everyone, I guess you're learning to work together. Yeah, absolutely. But they got better at... Yeah. yeah. And, and the interactions between everyone was great. Like, the, yeah. Yeah. I know the HQ guys, none of them really knew each other okay. um, to start with. So, like I said, the first seven days was just sort of getting to know one another and, yep. and you know, putting gear together. And because it was the first series, a lot of the, um, even a lot of the intelligence stuff that we had. So, mm. for us to be able to get access to all the information, we had none of that. We had to set all that up in a week. That's enormous. So we, we were setting up the Excel sheets and we were setting yep. up all the programs for us to be able to actually interact with each other. Yep. So like you said, where things got better as the show went on, that was yep. because our the way we were doing things were more streamlined. Yeah, we you worked out what didn't happening. didn't work and it sort of made it easier for us to do the job. So yeah. But, yeah, I always say, but nothing you see on that is, is set up. There's nothing, yeah. nothing scripted. What you see is what you get. They edit it a particular way. Yeah, that's, that's TV. Any, that's just, right. That you know, is. People just don't understand it is TV. Yeah, but for what sure. you're seeing is not is not a scripted thing yeah. at all. You know, it, it, it's run exactly like it would in real life. It's run yeah. like a real operation. And there's a lot of questions around things we did and yeah. that people ask. And I always just say, people just. Understand it's it's edited a certain way, yeah, and you're not seeing 99 percent of what we do to be able to get That's, to where we are, and that yep. you, you don't see it. You know, yeah. you, you wait two and three days for information to come through or permissions to come through. So, you know, what looks like happens in two minutes on the TV has happened over two to three. So, days. how long was it the, the filming? Twenty one days. Oh right. Yeah. So we did twenty one days okay. of filming, um, ten hours a day basically. We're, we're working ten hours a day for twenty one days straight. Yeah. So yeah. When you were tracking the two girls that were out at, it was like Ararat or someplace yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. And they were at the, where, uh, yeah, I was sure you had them. You, like, you were driving, I reckon, I think it was you, along a little sort of dirt road and they were like metres away, sort of hiding and you were driving and I thought, oh, he's going to get them here and then they did a shifty and got out of there. Somehow. Yeah. It's, it's, they, were good. they were pretty impressive, those Yeah, two. a lot of them were. The, the, the initial couple that got caught sort they of got just, caught real quick. That was, yeah. Yeah. Um, I spent, and again, you don't really see it on TV, but we spent seven days chasing the girls down at Phillip Island. Yeah. Seven days we were chasing them, specifically just them, for yeah, seven right. days. So, and that was just, just myself, you know, just my crew, Alpha yep. team. And mm. um, so, like I said, it's not something that was happening short time frames. Yeah. These were, you know, and, so, and we found out later that, 
there was one day we turned up and we were making some inquiries at a, a kiosk yeah. about the tickets onto the um, ferries. Ferry, yeah, yeah. And we didn't know, but they were literally on the other side of that container. That, and they didn't know we were on the nah. other side either. So yeah. had either of us just walked around the corner, we would have bumped into each other. Because they'd been like out on the jetty or something yeah. there. And then it like, goes to an ad break and I was like, oh, they're naked, <laughs> they're gone. <laughs> And then you guys pull up and then they're yeah. not there. And I was like, so it what actually, the hell? It does happen like that. And, yeah. and like I see, you get this feedback of people saying, oh, that was just sort of so No, no, that actually is nah, what you happened. Can, so, you can tell yeah, for sure. It's, it's really good. And, and I think that's the difference. It, it became the number one show. It was number one every night except yeah. for the night that Ian uh, Thorpey's This Is My Life. But I keep saying people, no one beats Thorpey. So yeah. he, he did us one night. But, I didn't see Thorpey, mate. I watched your show. So. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Thorpey. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it went to number one, so it was obviously very popular, but I think it was the way it was done. There's no host to the show. Yeah. Uh, it's very high-paced uh, yep. and, and intriguing to watch, and it's very mm. different to any other reality show it that's really on TV. Is. So I hope – I know I believe they've had – you know, thousands and thousands of applicants for yep. the second series. Uh, and I just hope that, you know, it, it's as popular, if not more popular on, on I season I think it two, will be. So. Um, the winners of yep. it. The, that's, I mean, if, if you said to me at the start of that, who's going to win, <laughs> they were not on the list. <laughs> Either of those two. Oh, the nah. dude with the, yeah, I get, well, I, I'm, I'm about to correct myself because they both were big on changing how yes. they looked, weren't they? Yeah. The, um, the well, I can't remember the names, but, um, yeah, the, the, the big fella, like he was always had a different hair. Yeah. Or the woman, he was a woman, he was. Yep. Absolutely, and and I think that's the thing. Like we only get sort of one photograph, yeah, um, to go by until the show start, until the, the actual hunt starts. Yep. Uh, and if we happen to get lucky and get some CCTV where we can see what they're now looking like, we yep. actually only get a photo. We get a right. photograph, their name, mm. um, and I think it's their age. I think that's all we get given okay. at, at the beginning. Yep. Uh, yep. Or actually, it might be where they're from. Mm. Um, that's all we get given, and then from there it's up to our intel guys and that to find all that. We're in the cars doing the same stuff. You don't see a lot of what we do, so yeah, um, we're doing oh, a lot of give it up research it? as well. Yeah, and so it is hard, especially when they start changing what they look like and yeah. stuff. And well, and we don't see the end result, so we don't see any of the end product until it's on TV. Oh, so right. a bit like okay. everyone else, we don't yeah, okay. we don't know That's what's good. happening to it. And it's the same as the contestants. So we they're not told how they're captured. They're not told what it is that gives them away. Right. They find that out by watching the show. Yeah, that's good. So when you sort of watch it and you know what you've done and, and where you've been, mm. um, particularly when we were in Ballarat and we got um, Stathy and uh, his mate, the, yeah. one, the guy who won and his mate. Yes. Uh, what they'd completely changed... More so, Stathy had changed his look, and yeah. there was no way we would have ever picked him based no. on what we had. Yeah, we, we could have walked past him in the crowd and mm. sort of not probably identified. Oh, that's him, where so. they had the, the festival or something on. Yeah, the drag game Mardi Gras. Yeah, yeah. had drag queen. So yeah, yeah, and you know, and it was only through luck we found the drag queen. You know, yeah. we had information that he was there somewhere, and yeah. then but he didn't turn up where we thought he would. And I just sort yeah. of said, "Oh, something's not right. Let's just go for a drive." And I yeah. found down in complete opposite end of town to where we were, standing outside the pub, and then it was yeah. just like, let's just sit off and let's just wait and see what happens. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's, yeah, like I said, what you see is a genuine yeah. yep. attempt to find people. Nothing's given to us. You know, we don't get anything handed to us to mm. help us. So, unless we ask for it, 
we don't get it. Yeah. And, and that's the best part about the show. You know, yeah. it actually is a, a real chase. It's good. <coughs> the guy down at the, um, that might have been the kiosk bit, the guy down at the, was it down at the cow where he gave he gave up the two women? He yes. rang, he rang yeah, back in. Yeah. Hey, flipped. I didn't that was think the he bus would driver. Do, the bus driver, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think he would do that. And then I was, I was actually. He caught a lot of grief on the social media. Mate, I reckon. Where <laughs> Carmel became a bit of a legend because she didn't give the girls up. So, yeah. yeah. It's interesting how people see things, isn't it? Like, it really is. Very, very and strange. And what people will do for other people. Yeah. Oh, will you drive me to Frankston or someplace yeah. from Ballarat? And, like, and the, it's funny, like, talking to the contestants afterwards, yeah. um, sort of the one thing they all said, every one of them, was mm. exactly that. I can't believe how many people that we didn't know were prepared to help us. Yeah. It, it was every one of them said the same thing. It shows so, something about humanity, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're not all nuts. No. <laughs> Most of us, but um, yeah, no, that was it was awesome. I'm I'm glad to hear that that um that's probably breaking news, really, that the season two is already already out. No, they've announced season two, uh, so okay. they've put okay. out the applicants and I'll, yeah, so we're just <laughs> waiting now to find out the exact Time and when we start doing things, yeah. but it's uh, it's definitely going ahead. They're, they're pretty happy with it. Like I said, awesome. it's the first time I think Channel Ten had a number one show in quite a long time. So since the Simpsons, be- probably yeah, it's become their um, <laughs> it's become their little baby. I think. So. Yeah, well, no, I hope so because it's good for me. If it is, bloody oh, mate, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and what's on other than that on the horizon? Anything exciting? Anything? Uh, I mean that's pretty exciting. Yeah, for oh, TV well, just just continue doing what I do with work. Yeah, you know, wait for jobs to come in and try and set up this training business and get that up and going. We're yep. sort of looking at um, possibly setting up a driver training centre if we can, and okay. a few other little things. But I've sort of been travelling. Oh God, since two thousand and five, I've probably been. You know, I, I know I worked out when I was working in Papua New Guinea. I think I mm. lived away. It was 65% of the time I was away from home. Wow. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, and I've got yeah. three – I had three young kids. Yep. Um, yep. That were all coming through and, and like mm. a lot of work for my wife. Yeah. Paula, who's – you know, she's a Mervyn girl, so – Right, um, it's a It's a lot of work for her. To, she works full-time. Yep. You know, looking after five pharmacies, plus trying to bring up three kids that are all heavily into sport. Yeah, she'd be um, in the car all, yeah, all so the it's time. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And yep. so it's sort of trying to find – Something now that keeps me at home, where I can still work and do mm. what I enjoy, because I love. Well, you know, I was I was a driver in the tactical unit for years, so mm. driving fast and throwing cars around is yeah, one fun. of the things I like to do. So it's anything I can do that I enjoy. Yep. Uh, the shooting and that sort of stuff. If mm. I can do that, but be at home rather yeah, than being okay. away. Uh, I, you know, I'm 47 now, so I'm yep. getting on to where it's time to start hanging up boots on some of that stuff. And as much as you miss it, and I, I do, I miss. Miss the high risk, you know, real high risk stuff. Yeah. But it know, sounds like you love it, man. Oh, I do. Yeah. yeah most of the guys of my background do. Yeah. And it's really hard to let go. And oh, and that's why you're there. Yeah, though, absolutely. Isn't it? And they yep. say, you know, you'll do something well if you love it. Sort of yeah, thing. absolutely. And, and it's funny because you talk to guys that are in cert now and mm. that were in when I was in, they say it's so different now because the guys are there for different reasons. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's a shame because we were, we were there to do the work and, mm. and catch crooks and stuff. Whereas yep. it's become a bit of a, because of Iraq and because of Afghan and because of, in our industry, it's mm. you know, what we do is made out to be this 
fantastic, super mm. job, and people do it probably more so for oh, I've done it or yeah. I get to play with some toys or whatever. Yeah, right. Rather than the actual, the actual end job outcome. itself. Yeah, mm. yeah, rather than the job. Mm. And we do, mm. most of the guys, yeah, all the guys, I know, just love it. You yeah. Know? And if you gave them an option to do something easy and sit on the couch or go out and do a, a raid, they'll all just jump on it yeah. and it's a fight to see who's first through the door and that sort yeah. of stuff so it's yeah. a very it's like putting 20 alpha males in a room yeah bloody hell <laughs> you wouldn't from there, so. geez, your Christmas parties would be interesting yeah we didn't have if you throw those, beers in yes oh. yeah it's a it's a pretty <laughs> high octane place you yeah. know you work yeah. hard you play hard and yeah it's but like I said everyone's of the same mindset it's mm. it's sort of hard to explain but the yeah you take what I I take what I learn in that and put it into business and mm. we run leadership and, and consultancy stuff mm -hmm. as well. So we do leadership programs and culture building. And awesome. That. But it's yeah. all built around special forces and, and tactical unit type environments where okay. um, you, know, you, you can sort of compare what we did to elite Athletes, mm. you know, in a sense, and a lot yep. of what we do transfers really well into the sporting environment, and mm. that's one area of the business that we're trying to head now is into this leadership and and culture building and team building environment. Yeah, um, sure. Based around because it, it is so successful. You know, yep. you look at what what success they've had in those sort of things, the tactical mm. teams and that, and it, it's it's interesting. I really enjoy looking into the team side of stuff, and then yeah, and that and. If we can get it off the ground, it'd be great. Mm. It, uh, but it's certainly one thing I've taken away from from that time and yep. high risk work is just how much you rely on other people to Mate, do the team, work. Team for what the work you do, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's hard leading people. I've, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sort yeah, of absolutely. in a role where I'm. It's a bit more people management yep. right now, and the work is great. The people management is really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, if, if you ever want to know. How to run it? Like if you're if you're a leader in saying is mm. read a book called Extreme Ownership by okay. Jocko Willink, and Jocko's a very famous podcaster over in the US. Yeah, Navy Seal. I've heard him actually. Yeah, so he he runs a company called Echelon Front, and yeah, I've just finished reading his books. He's got uh, there's Extreme Ownership, and there's another one called Dichotomy of Leadership. Yes, and then there's a third book which is Strategy Strategies. Tactics and leadership, which sort yep. of ties all three together. Okay, yeah. And it's all about leadership and, and it's all about, he has this thing of extreme ownership. And it's, mm. when you read it, if you're a leader and you read that, it'll mm. make things so much better. Yep. For you. Yeah, I did listen to, uh, he was interviewed on a, I can't remember who it was, but yeah, a podcast is quite a lengthy one. And yep. He was awesome. Yeah, he yeah. probably would have been Joe Rogan or one of those sort of guys. Yeah, I think. He interviews everybody. Yeah, he does. He gets all the famous <laughs> so, people. Yeah, but, uh, but they're, they're, yep. they're probably the best leadership books I've probably yeah, ever okay. read in a long time. Awesome. So, yep. But but yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting lifestyle. Mate, it sounds not it. something for everybody, but it's, <laughs> oh, uh, mate, it's been a good time. Someone so. has to do it, though, right? Yeah, exactly right. And that someone yes, is you, absolutely. Um, mate, just finishing up. The I sort of often finish with some, you know, not philosophical, but some sort of thought provoking question, but. I'm going to leave my glasses off because I know what the question is and I'm not going to read what I wrote. Um, what would you tell the 18-year-old Jason Spivey? If you could sit oh, him down on the couch oh. there, what would you tell him? So much. <laughs> yeah. That's what there a lot of people lot. say. I'd never change anything I've done. I'd, yeah. If I, you know, I wouldn't be the person I am today. Um, yep. You know, by changing things. But mm. um, be more dedicated. Okay. I think, you know, I've, having 
I tried for the AFL. Mm. You know, I, I really, yeah, you know, that was my goal was the yep. AFL. But I, I look back and I go, you know, I, having done what I did to get into cert, I go, mm. I, I didn't dedicate myself, yep, a hundred percent to that okay. to that goal. Um, you know, I, I went out and I drank. I, yeah, you know, I, I didn't turn up to training in the best conditions all the time and yep. that sort of stuff. When I went with cert, cert was like a totally different thing for me. Mm. It was there was nothing that was going to stop me from getting in there. Mm. Um, I did everything right, you know, I didn't drink yep. and, and I just went hell for leather and mm. and there was nothing was going to stop me and I think if I'd had that mentality back mm. when I was trying out for the AFL or when I wanted to go to the AFL, and again, you're talking three years difference, you know, yep. I was a bit more mature as a 28-year-old yeah. when I went into cert than I was when I was yep. a 17, 18-year-old trying to get in the AFL mm. and, and I just think to myself, you know, anything you do, just dedicate yourself 100% to it. Yep. Um, and then at the end of the day, you, you you can't question why you did or didn't make it. Yeah. You know, if you leave nothing on the table. Nothing on the table. And it doesn't matter what it is, you yeah, know, whether it be a business right. decision mm. or, or or something. If, if you do everything absolutely possible to get there and you don't, it's because you just weren't good enough. Yep. It's as simple as that. And you didn't put enough in Correct. probably. You know, yeah. Whereas if you don't do everything and you don't make it, You'll mm. always sit there and go, oh, if only, mm. if only I'd done mm. that, if yeah. only I'd done this. I don't, I sort of have a bit of a motto where I don't I don't care too much about things anymore. Like, yeah. I don't care what people think. I don't mm. care what people say. I, I, I don't care about much at all. Mm. Um, but that just comes from I have a mentality that says if there's something that happens and I can do something about it, mm. I'll do something about it. Mm. And if it doesn't work, move on. Yeah. If yeah. I can't do something about it, why would I worry about it? Yeah, it's a good point. And, though, and isn't that's it? how I sort of live life now. It's just, yep. And that's, again, it's all born out of cert. It's sort of funny. I only spent three mm. years there, but well, it, obviously it, it had was a three years that really you. defined my life. So yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I think if there's one thing I can tell myself it's just anything you do, just dedicate yourself 100% yep. so you don't leave anything in the tank. Awesome, mate. Yeah. A fantastic way to finish up. Thanks so much for coming in. No I, worries. Mate, I've learned Loved lots it. of things today, and that's, that's what I love about doing this. Yep. It's just a, a hobby. This is a, a weekend thing, but I, I love it. And, um, yeah, I'll um, I'll keep doing them. But, mate, I appreciate it immensely. No, I've loved coming in. Be and great. we'll, um, yeah, we'll get this <clears throat> out to the airwaves soon. Beautiful. All right. Been a pleasure. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. <laughs>